Good evening and welcome to Mets 360 here on CAST. I'm your host Brian Jora and since we just had the MLB draft it seemed like an excellent time to bring on our minor league expert David Groveman to the podcast to discuss uh, some of the guys the Mets drafted and some other guys in the Mets farm system. So let's get right to it. David, uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. All right, well, uh, the MLB, MLB instituted a hard slotting system in time for the 2012 draft, and the Mets decided to go cheap in the early rounds to spend more money later. And the 2012 draft is the one where we got Gavin Cicchini at number one and Chris Flexen uh, we gave more money to at uh, round number 14. Um, hard to say that that one turned out great. Uh, this year's draft, it seems like the philosophy is the exact opposite. Uh, so what do you think about spending all of the money in the first three rounds and essentially punting on all of the later picks? So both philosophies have their drawbacks. But the thing that I feel sort of intrinsically with the draft is that the early rounds are the rounds that matter. If you look, the likelihood of getting a player in any round after the top five just goes down statistically. It's, it's, it's nearly impossible to find any sort of star that late in the draft. So the first three rounds, if you can maximize them, maximize them. I liked what the Mets did this draft. It's really, really bold what the Mets did this draft. It will look really, really bad if any of those three players don't sign. But if they do, then Brody looks really smart. I think that getting three potential first-round talents out of a draft is is a beautiful strategy. It's hard for me to imagine that they would execute this type of strategy without having a pretty solid indication that they were going to be able to sign the three guys. I guess the only thing that you could try to use as a plan B would be to take somebody on the 35th round to, who maybe fell due to signability concerns. And then if one of the top two or three guys you couldn't sign, you could then give that money to, to that person. But my, my understanding is they, they feel pretty confident that they can sign these three guys. Does, is, is that correct? That is, that is what you are seeing from the team. And, and certainly... If a team is going to to make this bold decision to to select a, a player who is ranked in the top 20 with their third pick and uh, a player who said before the draft he wants four million dollars as a signing bonus or he's going to college that's certainly something that that seems real risky so hopefully the Mets have the plan in place uh, I certainly like this mentality more than going with a, a wider net and getting players that are, are a little bit safer in terms of signability because at a certain point the Mets have a ton of these guys who could potentially be a number four or a number five pitcher maybe in their careers it's worth a whole lot more to get a player who could be a number one or a number two Alright so I want to talk just a, a few seconds for people listening who maybe don't understand how uh, all of this works and that each team has uh, a, a set amount of money depending upon where they pick and so the Mets pick on uh, 12th overall in the first round so that selection has a slot value so you have 
all of your slot values for the first 10 rounds and then you add that up and that's essentially the pool of money that you have to spend now anyone drafted uh, around 11 and later i think it's it's 125,000 is is that the case i i believe that you uh yeah i think it's it's at 125,000 is your is your cap for everyone after that round but the key being that if you sign someone in the 15th round and you sign them for let's say 25,000 you cannot take that 100,000 and apply it to the first 10 picks you you can spend up to 125,000 but there's no savings from those later on picks so if the the Mets are going to go above slot on their first three picks that savings has got to come from picks four through ten and the way that the Mets are doing that is they're picking college seniors and college seniors are guys with no leverage typically a college person is drafted after their junior year and they can either sign or go back in into the draft for their senior season but after the senior season they don't have any leverage and that's why you pick those guys because you can sign them rather cheaply but with the Mets doing this with picks four through ten being all college seniors it's really hard to think of guys who've with who went back as a, a senior and have come on and had any kind of big major league career can you think of anybody that the Mets have drafted as a college senior who's uh, gone on and had success in, in MLB either with the Mets or with someone else well if you go all the way back to 2001 the Mets did select Aaron Heilman with their first pick and I believe he was a college senior I believe that he was uh, drafted First by the Yankees out of high school, then by the Twins, who tried to get him in the, in the late first round of uh, the year before, and then the Mets took him with their first pick. Uh, obviously, Aaron Heilman had a, a successful major league career, maybe not a first pick style career as a relief pitcher, but certainly he was a capable relief pitcher for a number of years. The only other person I could come up with uh, would be Matt Dendecker. Uh, who Mets took in 2010. He's seen time in the majors. He's, he's an adequate fourth outfielder, fifth outfielder. Um, but really, nothing about college seniors' um, success rate really should engender too much uh, faith in, in many of those picks that the Mets made uh, from four to 10 really having much value. That, that's shocking to me about Heilman. I was unaware of that. I'm looking him up now as we speak. Uh, you mentioned that the Yankees took him out of high school. The Twins took him after his junior year. Uh, he was the 31st player uh, selected in the 2000 draft. He did not sign, and then he went back into the 2001 draft, and the Mets took him with the 18th overall pick. Had no idea he was a senior, so that that's awesome. The guys that who I guess have jumped to my mind were – were more recent variety. Uh, Kevin Kazmarski uh, was the first guy who jumped into my mind, and he was a, a senior, and he came up and, and made the, the majors, played a, a few games, I believe it was, last year for the Mets. And they've got a couple of interesting relievers uh, picked, uh, I think, two years ago uh, who could end up making the, the show, and that's uh, Trey Cobb and uh, the side armor, Steve Valini's. I hope I'm saying his name right. I don't um, I, I, I write about him all the time, and I'm not really sure how to pronounce it. 
So um, I, I think Valenius is a guy who's going to play, and, and Cobb, I think, could uh, have some kind of career like Kazmarski did, make the majors, but maybe not a whole lot after that. But you're really limiting yourself as a, as a college senior, or you have been up until these last few years. And if, if what the Mets do in, in this attempt, I guess, to, to game the system, I mean, maybe we'll see more, more college seniors. And if, if there's more of them being drafted, eventually some of them will have to break through, right? That is the assumption. Um, the, the one college senior that they took this year that I'll point out is Magnum, who they took with their fourth overall pick. He was a player who, who came up on those top 200 rankings. He was a player that the Yankees and the Mets had tried to sign in previous drafts. But unlike Heilman, this isn't someone who either of the teams tried to sign with an early pick. So he's just sort of a quick center fielder who might steal some bases if he can get on base. Yeah, what well, the old maxim you can't steal first base. So uh, I know that uh, you were you were bullish on him uh, when the news first came out. Uh, he was the the first of the college seniors that they took their fourth round pick. So uh, likely he's the the one with the uh, the best hopes uh, once he signs. I want to talk about some of the guys, the 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 big three, if you will, and uh, let let's start off with. Uh, Brett Beatty, and he was available when the Mets picked in the first round. Um, again, reasons of age, he was old for uh, a high school player. He was 19. Uh, does that concern you? So it doesn't concern me at all, but I, it doesn't concern me perhaps for bad reasons because I was spoiled last year with the Mets pick of Kellenic just immediately being this success, and he also was that year-older player. So, you know, I, I have this assumption that it's really not a big deal because Kellenick succeeded. So it, it, it could end up biting us that he's a year older, but I don't think that the one year really matters as much as a lot of the, the people around baseball felt it did. I think that the reason that the Mets ended up taking Beatty, uh, or Batty was that he grew up a Met fan, and taking him with this first pick they actually might be able to sign this top uh, prospect that they selected under the slot that he has because he wants to be a Met. You know, his nickname was Brett the Met. He should have a desire to play for the Mets uh, based upon what you read about him. So if that's the case, then that could have been part of their strategy behind the rest of that first, uh, first second, and third round. Interesting. Now, if I recall correctly, uh, in the previous year's draft, when they took Kalenic, he ended up signing a below a below slot deal as well. So perhaps uh, the the Mets uh, haven't uncovered something here, picking these older high school players, who other organizations are are shying away from. Maybe they can uh, get an advantage, especially if they're willing to sign a below slot deal. Hey, if he's going to hit anywhere as well as Kalenic did during his debut, then um, I'm for the Mets signing 19-year-olds every single year. <laughs> now, you liked that pick, but I think you liked the third-round pick even more. You gave Matthew Allen a grade of A+. What makes him deserve this grade? So to explain the way that I was grading people when I did my, my post-draft review, um, Allen's rating has to do with where the Mets got him. So 
they selected Beatty in the in the first round, and he was their 12th overall pick. He was ranked a little bit lower than 12, but I saw that he was a really good talent. I thought that the Mets made a good good selection there with him. So I thought that that was a good pick, and I think I gave them something like a B. When they selected uh, Wolf in the second round, I gave that an A because I did not expect a player of Wolf's quality to survive through the entire first round and the compensation picks. I thought he would be off the board based upon where I saw him going. Allen, if the Mets can sign him, as we're, we're hopeful and, and sort of assuming that they, they have a plan and that they will, Allen may be the best player that the Mets got in this draft, and they got him in the third round. If you can get your best draft pick with an 89th overall pick, that's, that's insane. Now, you, you mentioned that uh, Brett the Met may have been uh, ranked a few slots lower than, than where the Mets took him. Um, but because he's the first round pick, he gets all of the buzz. And Allen gets all of the buzz because he was the, 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 big, uh, the big fish, if you will, the signability pick. But it gets lost in the shuffle about Josh Wolf. So what can you tell us about Josh Wolf? So Josh Wolf and Matthew Allen are pretty similar in the respect of they are both uh, 97-ish mile-an-hour fastballs, and they both are boasting a plus curveball. Josh Wolf's curveball is a 12 to 6 curveball. I think that that's the more, um, more impressive pitch in terms of uh, rare, uh, scarcity in the majors. So I think Josh Wolf has a more interesting secondary offering. The reason that Wolf was ranked lower than Allen is because his changeup needs some work. But the thing that I like about Wolf is that he has uh, a repeatable motion, he has control when he's pitching, and those are buzzwords that when I hear them, they suggest to me that Tommy John surgery isn't a foregone conclusion with Josh Wolf the way it has been with so many of these, these fireballing pitchers in the past, whenever you see anything about a strange motion or having to tinker with their, their mechanics, it just makes me assume that there's going to be an injury somewhere early in their minor league career. And I think that Josh Wolf doesn't have those buzzwords around him. So hopefully he can avoid that. Hopefully his changeup continues to develop and he becomes this starting pitcher that, that uh, the Mets are hopeful he will be. All right, I've got a question for you, and, and I realize that this is, in, in all honesty, something that none of us who are not in the, the war room can possibly know. So it's essentially just asking you for your opinion. And obviously the Mets were hoping to, to get the guy they did on the first round, and, and perhaps they were even hopeful that they were going to get the guy that they did on the second round. Do you think that they went into the draft thinking that Allen was going to be there in the third round and that they were going to take him. Do you think that that was plan A? I, I don't think it was necessarily Allen, but if you look at the start of the third round, there were a number of players who were still available who were all risks to draft. They were a number of uh, uh, people who 
would probably want more money than the slot of a third pick was going to allot them. And the Mets, I think, just lucked into having Allen be the guy who was left to them. Um, the guy that I had assumed that they were going to take with the third round pick uh, was actually taken a couple picks later by the Phillies. Uh, it was a, a college pitcher who you know, had some, some good stuff and had fallen to the third round and was a second round talent. So there was a lot of reasonably good talent available and I think the Mets planned to go for someone who they'd have to overslot money to, but I think they they swung for the fences because they had this opportunity to get another first round talent. Excellent. Well, that's good stuff. Um, I want to switch now instead of talking about the the draft picks. Let's talk about the uh, the minor leagues, the guys who are already in the system. And coming into this year, I think both of us were very excited about the talent that the Mets had at low A Columbia, but the, uh, the fireflies, they've, I don't think there's any other way that you can say it. They've been a pretty big disappointment. They're 24 and 37. And if you look at the stat lines, I don't think you can say anyone is having a standout year. So my question for you is what happened? Well, I mean, it's obvious why we were excited because five of, of the players that most people are ranking in the top 10 of the Mets organization were all assigned to this team. You had Ronnie Mauricio, you had Mark Vientos, you had Sheriff Newton, you had Simeon Woods Richardson, you had Thomas Sipucky, and you had all of these players on one team and you had this assumption that you were going to see some of them really stand out as stars. And really, if I had to choose a player on the, the, the Fireflies who's had a standout year, I'd have to say like Hansel Moreno was, was, is your standout player so far. Um, if we're looking at the stars there, not too many of them have had really bad seasons. Ronnie Mauricio is hitting, he's just not showing a lot of power, he's not showing speed, and he's not showing plate discipline. He's getting on base with singles and hitting a lot of them. So there, there are worse things than hitting near 300 without you know the benefit of on-base percentage and slugging percentage. So Ronnie Mauricio was young for the, the league, He's succeeding to a degree, but maybe not as much as we were hoping. Mark Vientos has at times looked like the star we all think he will be. He just hasn't been able to sustain it. So he's swinging back and forth between being this great player and having these struggles. So Mark Vientos, you know, he's not having that great year we were hoping for, but maybe there's, there's reason for hope. Chervin Newton started injured. And it really has hurt him. He came into the, the, the season once he was back healthy, and he was just as bad as he could possibly be. So we had all of these offensive players that we were expecting big things from, and they haven't produced. The, the, the silver lining here is that they're starting to produce more. Newton's showing signs of coming out of it, although he still strikes out way too much. Uh, Vientos, again, seems to, to be a little bit streaky going back and forth. And Mauricio, I'm hopeful that I'm starting to see his stat line start to include some, some extra base hits again. On the pitching side, you have a weird scenario here. Because Woods Richardson started great. He looked really good in his first couple starts, and then he hit this skid where he was just terrible. His last two starts, again, reason for hope. He's had 
solid starts, not giving up runs, not giving up hits, and striking out a good number of players. And then Zapucky, the Mets apparently think, is made out of something more fragile than glass because they are treating him with the most friendly of kitty gloves. Um, he's pitched no more than, than two and a third innings in any of his outings so far. Uh, they keep assigning him down to Brooklyn, but uh, calling him back up to Columbia when they need him. So he, he did pitch again in Columbia recently. He hasn't pitched bad in, in any of his outings. He's just not being allowed to go any farther into games. And really, with all the lost time that Zapucky has had, I was hoping that I would see him get a little bit more of a chance to, to pitch. Now, he essentially missed two years. So as frustrating as it is uh, to see him on, on such a limited uh, pitch count, if you will, doesn't it at least make sense for the amount of time that he's lost? It does. I just I don't like the idea of not allowing him to, to pitch deeper into games. If you want to give him more rest, you have plenty of pitchers to expand to a seven-man rotation or an eight-man rotation. It doesn't matter. Let him get three innings to a game. Let him get four innings to a game. Let him stretch out again because the plan is to make him a starter. I don't think that there's any plan to make him a reliever. I just don't like the idea of him only getting these little blip outings. All right, well, let's talk about a guy who's certainly pitched more innings than Zabuki, and that's Anthony Kay, who just got uh, promoted after to promoted to AAA after pretty much dominating uh, down in Binghamton. Do you see him uh, pitching any meaningful innings for the Mets this season? Well, the the word meaningful innings is is a loaded question. So <laughs> I I see Kay pitching innings for the Mets uh, under a couple of different scenarios, but not necessarily meaningful ones. I think if the Mets are a playoff team, if they, if they make that push, then Kay is not a pitcher on the Mets in 2019, except for maybe getting a couple innings when the rosters expand. There's no reason to rush Kay through AAA into the majors unless the Mets are going to have a fire sale and you want to see if Kay is going to be able to replace some of these pitchers that are going to depart at the end of the year. I think that you're going to see him pitch in games if someone gets hurt. I think that if you had one of your sort of anchor starters go down with an injury that we knew was a bad injury, that the calls for Kay would begin. And I think that the Mets are, are more than likely to throw that dart at the dartboard and see if Kay sticks. But I think without an injury, um, meaningful innings are a stretch. I think if the Mets are out of it and they, they do that fire sale, he'll get plenty of garbage innings. Now, I don't think we've had a uh, single podcast where you've been on where we haven't talked about Patrick Mazika. So let's, uh, let's keep the streak intact and, and speak about him again. He's a lefty hitting catcher. Um, Prior to last year, he had been very good offensively. Last year, he had uh, some struggles when he moved to double-A. So they sent him back to Binghamton to, to start this season. And he's been splitting time between catching and, and playing first base. Had uh, one outing, I think, where he caught uh, the knuckleballer and, and did a very nice job. But overall, it, it hasn't been overwhelming. I think it was a 729 OPS 
uh, for him in, in Binghamton this year. Uh, do you think that he'll make the majors, meaningful games or not? Do you think he's um, uh, somebody who we'll see in, in Queens one day? I, I think that he is a player who has the capability of making it to the majors. He may not be a starter, but there is something really tempting, especially in the National League, to have a left-handed hitting catcher that you could put as a backup catcher to, let's say, a defensive right-handed catcher like maybe Tomas Nido, or Nito, rather, um, and, and have that ability to have that more offensive force in your back pocket. He's not a huge liability in the field, but he's certainly not a defensive catcher. So I don't think that his offense will ever play enough to make him a starter anywhere, but I think that his offense is good enough and his defense is still solid enough that he is an attractive bench catcher for a team. All right, we have reached the crazy prediction time of the show. I'll give you a crazy prediction to ask you to comment on it, and then I'll ask you to give me a crazy prediction of your own. Okay, are you ready? I'm ready. My crazy prediction is the guy you mentioned earlier, Ronnie Mauricio, gets traded in a deadline deal uh, this year, um, sometime in, in July. And uh, eventually, you know, two, three, four years down the road, comes back and, and haunts the Mets uh, for, for a decade or more. So I want to know, is, is trading Ronnie Mauricio at the deadline, is, is that crazy? No, it's just sad. You just make me <laughs> sad. I, I, I could see the Mets doing it. Um, I, was, I, was, I went to the Met game on Sunday, so I, I ended up talking a lot about you know, who the Mets could trade to, to bolster the team. And the obvious person that always comes up for a trade is, is Dominic Smith. But you're not going to get any value for a player that you don't want to keep. And the Mets don't want to keep Dominic Smith. They don't have a place to play him every day. So Ronnie Mauricio is a player that the Mets want to, to keep. And he does have talent, and other teams know it. It would just it would hurt to lose Mauricio, especially after losing Kalanick, I, 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 it's not crazy. It's just it, it, it makes me unhappy. All right. Well, uh, since I took a, a swing and a, and a miss, show me what a crazy prediction looks like. What's yours? All right. So um, the beginning of the year, we had Pete Alonso going into the majors. So he was ranked as our top prospect, but he wasn't going to stay a prospect for long. And the other guy who would have been a top prospect, we traded to Seattle. Um, so Andres Jimenez started the year as our number one prospect in all reality. But he's been really lackluster in Binghamton all season. It's just I'm not feeling any of that, that optimism that I had for Jimenez shining enough to be a, a, a impact shortstop in the major league level. So my prediction is that all of these top Met prospect lists whether it be mine or yours or the MLB.com, that we actually see Andres Jimenez fall out of the top five prospects for the Mets thanks to a second half from Ronnie Mauricio, Anthony Kay, Mark Vientos, Francisco Alvarez, Freddy Valdez, Thomas Zapucky, other players doing something positive sort of shoving down Jimenez, who's, who's really rode uh, to the top of the Met prospect list 
thanks to being younger than everyone and succeeding, now his success is, is it just doesn't look that special. I know that you were disappointed that he began this season back in Binghamton. He was promoted to double A, um, not halfway, a little more than halfway during the, the 2018 season and, and, and had a, a strong performance there. Uh, he's, he's on the injured list now. Uh, I think, uh, I think your prediction, it's, it's hard to pass judgment on that without knowing the severity of his injury. Um, if he has to miss a, I think he got hit, uh, hit on the hand with a pitch. So like if he broke his hammock bone and, and, uh, needed time to recover, then yeah, I guess I could see, uh, him falling down the, uh, the prospect list. But if he only misses, uh, a week or so, um, and comes back and, and is the player that he is or, or that he, that he was certainly last year. Uh, it's hard for me to uh, think that he would drop uh, past number five. So I, I have to give an incomplete just because I don't have the, the, the information on how severe his current injury is. All right. Well, we'll, we'll accept an incomplete on, on the, <laughs> in this rare case. All right. Well, let's uh, let's talk uh, one more question. Although we can go quite in depth in in this one, and and that's the the short season leagues are going to be starting here in just a couple of days. And uh, what player or players are are you most looking forward to to see in in those leagues? The biggest name on my list right now is Francisco Alvarez. Uh, he was a a big signing from the international pool last year. A power hitting catcher, and he is not assigned currently to the Dominican Summer League. So there is a very decent chance that the Mets did what they did with Ronnie Mauricio, and they put him in the stateside leagues, and he will play in either the Gulf Coast League or the Appalachian League, and we will get to see him stateside this year. So that's a very exciting thing for me. Um, I know that, that the idea of having a, a big-time hitting catcher uh, who could be you know, that, that superstar quality, that would be exciting to see. Another player... Uh, that we haven't seen yet, and it's because of injury, so I don't know when he will be coming back, but obviously uh, he's, he's not coming back before short season is Jordan Humphreys. So at some point, I'm hoping to see him back. So short season ball, if he goes to Brooklyn, as long as I get to see him this year, I'm, I'm looking to see him back in a, in a healthy lineup. And then obviously, Batty, Wolf, and Allen, assuming that we get to sign them, I want to see them in Met uniform as soon as possible. Now, let's talk about Alvarez since you mentioned him first. I, I, don't, I don't think we can stress enough how big of a deal it is for one of the guys that you signed from the, the July 2 period to, to skip the DSL and come and, and start his professional career here in, in the U.S. at uh, uh, barely age 17. And uh, if Alvarez can do that as a catcher, I mean, I think that would just be an absolutely wonderful thing. I believe he got the largest bonus ever that the, the Mets gave one of their international guys. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but if it if is the, the largest, but I think if we're if we're factoring inflation, then we're still looking at, at Rosario being the more impressive signing as the, the prices of international signees have just gone up since that time period. But Alvarez is the most the Mets have given. Okay. Um, so the the fact that they they identified him uh as a you know a top level prospect and 
and not only that, but they saw enough of him to, to skip the DSL. I, I think that's a, that's a great thing to, as a Met fan to see. Absolutely. Um, and I'm actually wondering um, if we may see something like we saw with uh, Stanley Consuegra last year, who uh, only played briefly in the Dominican Summer League before getting a promotion, because Freddy Valdez is having a really good year to start his year in, in the DSL. So the other guy the Mets drafted could very well see a mid-year promotion, as rare as those are, from the Dominican Summer League to a stateside league. All right, let me throw out some names to you and then uh, uh, see what your thoughts are. Uh, Gregory Guerrero, uh, he was the big international signing from 2015, uh, missed all of last year with a uh, shoulder injury. I'm uh, assuming that uh, he's back. Uh, I have not heard either way, but uh, I, I assume we'll see him in Brooklyn. Uh, wh what do you think about Guerrero? I mean, at this point, I need Guerrero to throw out some stats. Uh, I think you can only survive so long on a scouting report, and that's what Guerrero has done because he was he was supposed to be a big signing, but at this point, he hasn't put up numbers at any point before his injury to suggest that he's going to, to make good on that. Um, hopefully he does. I would always like to have another good player in the system, uh, but Guerrero is not that high on my list. All right, well, here's a guy that, that I was pretty excited about, and that's Jalen Palmer. Uh, he was a kid that they drafted uh, last year. Um, he's actually a local kid. He, he played high school ball in Flushing. And uh, he, he went to the Gulf as a 17-year-old and, and really uh, held his own, uh, put up an 808 OPS. Um, played, he was a shortstop in high school, uh, split time uh, in the professional leagues between shortstop and third base. My guess is he's going to be a third baseman. Uh, any, uh, any expectations for him? Well, first of all, I think that based on his age, you'll see him go to the Appalachian League. I don't think that they're going to promote him to Brooklyn, especially with the preponderance of seniors that they drafted. There's, there's really no other place to put a senior when you sign them than Brooklyn. But uh, going to the Appalachian League is actually a really nice stepping stone for a hitting player. Um, you get really nice stats out of the Appalachian League in terms of getting success for hitters. So they may be a little bit inflated, but that can do a lot to, to bolster some confidence for Palmer. Um, I could see Palmer going to, to the Appalachian League and really having some success. The thing that he may have working against him is if he's going to play third base, you're going to have Brett the Met chasing you all the way up the minors. Ah, uh, that's a great point. Um, all right, another guy for you, and uh, that's Adrian Hernandez. He was a uh, one of the big signings, uh, international signings from 2017. Um, Signed as a center fielder, uh, power speed guy. I think he's drawn some uh, preliminary comparisons to Ioannis Cespedes. Uh, so he should be showing up in, uh, in one of the U.S. leagues. Yes, he, he, he definitely will be showing up in one of the U.S. leagues. Again, I think the Appalachian League, um, since he's gotten the DSL time. Um, Hernandez had some decent numbers in the DSL. Uh, not as good as I wanted them to be, but certainly better than I, I saw from Guerrero. So I think that Adrian Hernandez, um, there's, there is some expectation. Um, and 
and it will be one of those names that I'm following on a weekly basis for, for everyone who, who reads my Monday post. He's, he's one of the guys that I'm going to cover and make sure people have the information about him. And one last one for you, and that's Junior Santos. Uh, Santos is one of those guys that you were referencing earlier, one of the rare people to get a, a mid-year promotion from the Dominican to, to a U.S.-based league. Uh, last year, he uh, started out in Dominican and ended up in the, the Gulf Coast League. And uh, Junior Santos is six foot eight and uh, throws in the mid-90s. Uh, strikeout numbers weren't necessarily there last year. But for a kid that young and, and that big, uh, the most impressive thing was he didn't walk anybody. Right. And uh, that, that's a great thing to see. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing him. Considering that he played in the Gulf last year, do you think uh, Brooklyn is a possibility or do you think he'll be in the Appy as well? Brooklyn is a possibility. But again, he's, he's still only 17 years old. He'll be 18 before the end of the year. And I just, I, I, I see the Brooklyn League as, as more of a league for college players. So it's not necessarily that it's, it's rookie one, rookie two, rookie three, and you promote them up the levels. That, that does happen with players. I think it's about putting people with the right age group players. And I think Junior Santos makes more sense to me in the Appalachian League. If he succeeds in the Appalachian League, especially as a pitcher in, in what I consider a hitter's league, then I could see him skipping Brooklyn if he has a successful year in, in, in the Appy this year. Well, as always, David, excellent information from you on, on these guys that uh, most of us don't know a whole heck of a lot. Um, do you have any uh, final parting uh, thoughts for us? Uh, I mean, I can, I can tell you that uh, Mazika, in honor of our, our talking about him, is the lone hit for Binghamton right now. So There you go. <laughs> There you go. He he his ears perked up. He he heard us mention his name, and he's like, "Oh, I've got to I've got to give one last hurrah for my pal David." All right. Well, uh, David Groban writes the uh, Monday minor league column over at Mets 360. So uh, make sure you go out and check out his stuff. Thanks for tuning in, and we will talk soon. Good night, everyone. Good night and goodbye.